Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Good morning, good afternoon, I should say. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you. Two expert guests, one hour. I guess that depends on where you're watching us from exactly. Good af- Good morning to all of you joining us from Western Australia. Now, for the full show here today, Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. I guess the weather is just too good where both of you are to be leaving uh, to come into the big smoke, Sydney. Good to see you guys. Um, Luke, hey, uh, we are sort of getting a few quarterly reports coming from small cap companies now and over the next few weeks. Um, is that you know a real point of interest for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're in this uh, little gap of information in between full year reporting um, and, and AGMs for, for the, the, the broader market. But uh, the smaller companies that still report quarterly, we'll start to see them. Um, it's interesting to Dean. I was actually talking to someone yesterday and they commented that normally we might have seen, you know, half a dozen or so by now. And, and maybe the, the lack of that suggests that we could have a bit of a, a weaker reporting season, which, um, you know, as, as, a, as a broader market, I think we've been waiting for a bit of earnings weakness for, for a lot of companies that hasn't really come through. So we'll wait and see what it looks like. Um, you know, of course, it's, it's, it's cash reporting. Um, so, you know, whether they come with trading updates and outlooks for the full year, we'll wait and see. But um, yeah, quarterly reporting combined with AGMs, finally, we'll get some fundamental news out of this vacuum we've been in for the last sort of six weeks or so. Yeah, it does feel like that a little bit. And uh, hey, Claude, now the index is up this week. You know, we had six days in a row of positive momentum. And in that, you start having conversations about whether now it's time to add a little bit of growth into portfolios with, you know, even smaller companies that are profitable or have a very clear path to profitability. Uh, What's your take on that? Or is it still just a, a a bit risky out there? Claude. Oh, I think you're on mute. That's okay. We'll leave it. What I'm going to do is just detail the companies that we're going to get across in this first half hour of the program. And that is X2M Connect, Smart Parking, Money Me, Hotel Property Investments, and Cyclofarm. CYC is the ticker code there. But the stock of the day is Self Wealth. Well, today Self Wealth responded to media speculation around a potential deal with stake. So it's disclosed that Stake did make an offer for the company for 17.5 cents per share. However, Self Wealth's board refused to engage with Stake, saying that the proposal didn't offer value to its shareholders. Um, But off the back of that speculation, and I suppose, you know, speculation that there could be an improved offer to come, the company's share price is up more than 20% at this stage of the session. So uh, thanks to my guests, it was a suggestion for stock of the day, and I like it a lot. Of course, it's a it's a trading platform. It's a share trading platform online only. So let's get to uh, Luke Winchester. Let's get your thoughts on self wealth. 
Yeah, so we've got two things to discuss here, I guess. There's the the, the fundamental business of self-wealth and then the, the potential M&A and, and how that all plays out. Um, it's always interesting. You, you think about this. This came out in the AFR this morning. Um, you know, h- how does it make its way to the AFR and, and sort of why now? Um, it, it wouldn't surprise me, you know, if, if, if stake um, is sort of using the, the bid to maybe put pressure on the self-wealth board. You know, there's some long-suffering shareholders who, who may wish to sort of grab whatever value they can, and the share price today helps them do that. Um, but as an operating business, so self-wealth's a, a, you know, a discount stockbroker. Um, and, and really did well in that COVID retail boom period. Um, you know, if we have the five-year chart in a second, we'll see that. Um, but that's that's now done and dusted, Nadine. I mean, um, those those retail traders who piled into the market, you know, when we all got our stimmy checks and we're, we're, we're stuck at home, um, they've now exited. And, and you see that in the statistics that Self Wealth puts out. Um, they've managed to keep their active accounts, but the, the level of activity and trading and cash balances have all fallen very steadily. Um, what saved the business, though, is, you know, they're able to to collect a difference on uh, the interest that, that sits in those clients' cash accounts. So, you know, you may have 50,000 sitting on self-wealth and, and 45 of that invested in, in equities with 5,000 cash. And of course, self-wealth are able to park that in a, in a cash account, collect interests and pass on 10 basis points or, or sometimes nothing to you. Um, and that's really saved the operating results of this business over the, the, the last sort of uh, year or so. Um, I am actually quite negative on that though. And, and I think I view it a lot like the insurers where you get a short term boost from, from interest rates rising and, and being able to, to sort of skim that difference. Um, but over time, the competitive nature of this industry eventually kicks in. And as an example, I mean, I, I am on an email list for Interactive Brokers, which is a US-based brokerage firm. Um, and they're advertising 5% on their on, on clients' cash balances. So they're passing on the full sort of interest rate differential. And I'd expect, you know, local players to over time do the same as they look to sort of grab whatever market shares left and, and consolidate the space. So I don't think that's a great moat. I think the, the the rest of the business isn't doing too well. How do you reconcile that with a takeover bid and is it worth more and how will this play out? It's actually really hard for me to say. Um, you know, usually with stuff like this, I take a little bit off the table. You know, you've, you've had a, a takeover bid come in, admittedly knock back. Um, the share price has bounced though. So you can sort of take some off, lock some in. And maybe continue to hold and, and hope that state comes back or someone else. I mean, this is a space where there's quite a few players. I mean, Comsec by far is the, uh, you know, the, the big gorilla in the in the jungle. Um, you know, it, it's a space that should be consolidated over the next few years, and it doesn't surprise me that industry players are sniffing around self wealth. So, um, the board holding out for a higher bid, I think, is actually quite a reasonable tactic from that point of view. Mm-hmm. I got it, Claude. What's your view on self? Wealth. Does anybody else have a hard time saying that three yeah. times fast? My yes. goodness. Claude. You're on mute, I think, again, Claude. No, we're not hearing you. I'm no, not hearing yeah. you. Yeah, all right. Um, we'll get back to you, Claude, for your view on self wealth. And in the meantime, we'll get to the first stock that has been picked by Lucas, and it is X2M Connect. Hi, Lucas, I hope you're listening or watching. Uh, He gave us a bit of context. He would like an opinion on the medium to long-term for this tiny stock. Uh, He says that it's growing sales traction and some very experienced ex-Tabcorp management alongside Chairman Alan Stockdale. So, uh, Luke, I will go to you first, as I don't know if Claude's got his 
stuff worked out yet, but um, what do you think of X2M medium long term? Mm, it might be a one-man show today, Nadine. Yeah. Um, so X2M, look, it's one that I am a little bit familiar with. I've, I've had a call with this management team. Um, it's an interesting little business. It's in that Internet of Things space, which you know is a bit of a, a nice buzzword, I suppose, but they genuinely play there. So um, it's mainly in Southeast Asia, so China, Taiwan, Japan, South Korea. Um, and what they do is sell hardware that uh, basically manages and tracks utilities, so so water consumption, energy consumption, gas consumption, things like that. So they're used by large utilities, council, councils, municipalities. Um, interesting business. It is growing quite well, as, as Lucas points out. The issue I have with it, and and a few other businesses, not directly in the space, but sort of. Um, is that it's very difficult to really scale the business. So, so, so as an example, X2M does about twenty six percent gross. quite quickly because of those high gross margins and if you can sort of keep that operating cost base relatively flat, the the, the leverage is just amazing. When that gross margin's 26% though, and only you know every dollar of revenue is bringing in 26 cents worth of gross profit, which then has to fall through your operating costs as well, it just takes so much more growth to be able to actually fall down and, and sort of um, hit that bottom line and get the business to sustainability. And that's why the chart looks like that. I mean, we've been in a very tough environment for businesses like this. Um, so look, I've I've got this one on my, my sort of broad watch list that I keep as it's an interesting business, but I think it's still a very long way from from where I need it to be before I'd, I'd really get interested in it. Um, the balance sheet looks a little bit stretched. They raised a little bit of capital not too long ago, but certainly not enough to get them to where they need to be. They'll, they'll be back, you know, tapping the market um, at some point in the future. Um, if you're there, Lucas, look, I think they're executing to that medium long-term plan you're looking for. But just be aware, I think that short term, it, it will continue to be quite tough from a market point of view and a capital point of view, just because I think the, the economics of the hardware model uh, makes it harder to hit that scalability. So, Luke, if you do not already own it, what you're saying is you don't need to rush into it. Not at all. And I mean, like, we're, I think we're in a very lucrative um, space for, for micro caps and small caps at the minute. They've been beaten down quite hard. Um, but you need to be selective. And, and you know, it's a, it is a cliche, but, you know, to say it's a stock picker's market, I think is exceptionally true in, in, the, in the small and micro end. Um, and, and, and basically, you know, you want to find these businesses as they're coming through that profitability inflection point or, you know, really about to see their, that earnings growth um, expand quite strongly. And to my point, like a six mil loss next year to, to get to to get to sustainability and profitability, um, X2M would probably have to four or five times their revenue base from here just because those margins are, are, are lower than what you'd want to see for like a software business or, or maybe a higher margin manufacturer with some IP or something like that. So yeah, on, on the sidelines, I, I don't I don't mind it. I don't mind the idea, but yes, you I can wait for them. Okay now. Okay. Yeah. Hey, look, Clyde, welcome. Welcome to the program. How are you? <laughs> I'm kidding. Can you guys hear me now? We can. Yes. We can. Great. All right. Okay, so cool. why don't we just stick with X2M for now? So it's a watch list material for our friend Luke. What is it for you, Claude? Uh, for me, for me, it would be an avoid. Um, it's it's obviously still in a cash burning phase. It has um, not that long ago raised capital. 
and it is likely to raise capital again. I also have um, a, just a general rule that I wouldn't generally uh, invest in a company that is getting uh, significant business contracts out of China, which is obviously something that they're uh, advertising. And the question is for me, you know, if all your revenues are coming from uh, China and, and I think uh, South Korea and, and maybe Japan, well, yeah, certainly. But the point is, why are you listed in Australia anyway? It's a little bit unusual. Uh, in terms of, in particular, the, the most, the, the, the automatic avoid for me is when you're saying, oh, we've got contracts in China, you know, look at us winning business here. Uh, I would say that nobody really should be investing in uh, a business that is getting contracts out of China unless they're really an expert on China. And if you just want to learn about small cap stocks that that get contracts from China, a lot of them end up getting delisted in the end. Uh, there's Dongfang Modern Alcook Agriculture a few years ago. You know, it was supposedly very profitable, ended up just not putting in its accounts, getting delisted. Sunbridge back when I was, you know, 10 years ago now, that was like a net cash company that was, you know, too good to be true and and uh you know it ended up getting delisted foslock currently suspended you know they had contracts in china as well there is risk in getting money out of china it doesn't automatically say just because you got a contract in china that you can then get that money back to australia so if you're a legal expert that really understands that process then then maybe this is in your circle of competence but for anyone else and certainly myself uh, this is just not an that's the expertise you need that's what you need to understand and, and i don't have that so i'd avoid this one okay there you go thank you um we'll do self-wealth later shall we just let's keep things oh, going I'm, while it... I'm, okay. I'm happy to jump in okay. while it's kind right. of fresh do self the, the main self-wealth the main, then. the main thing i think about uh self-wealth is to agree with luke that i do think consolidation is inevitable the one little thing i'd add is I think maybe some of the institutional shareholders of self-wealth, you know, that it's up to that, like they're kind of in a position to maybe block or have a bit of a shareholder rebellion, even if the board did agree to too low a price. So I don't see them necessarily selling out, even though that, in my personal opinion, it's not a stock I'm long because I don't think it's the best quality business. It's very hard to make a sustainable profit uh, and grow because it costs a lot of money to acquire customers. But uh, that's my take on self-wealth. Sorry, uh, so it's still fresh. So you'd be holding it if you were a shareholder because they're likely to get a better offer. I think they're likely to hold out for a better offer, okay. which probably does doesn't necessarily mean they'll get one, but it probably does mean that it might be one of those take some profit situation. Uh, just, but at the same time, I would probably still hold some just for that potential chance that you get a higher offer. Yeah, all right, we well, guys do agree on that. So there you go. Nice to have you here with us today, Claude. I'm going to get to the next stock nominated by our viewers. Hey, Kyle, if you're watching or listening, Smart Parking, SPZ, this is for you, Claude. So this is technology. Uh, it's got some global reach. Uh, do you like it? Uh, I do like it. I don't own shares in it, uh, but uh, I do think it's an interesting investable little small cap business. Uh, so it is. it does have two segments, as I understand it, the technology division, which is maybe selling uh, some of those green and um, red lights that you might see in car parks. But then the bigger part of it is the parking management division, which has historically been, I think, largely in the almost exclusively in the UK. They are expanding that and they have recently made an acquisition in Germany, actually, to expand their business. Now, this business um, as Luke books it, it's being a parking cop. 
Um, it's you know it's a private. It's about policing a private parking center, and essentially there's a place for technology uh, in this business because if you can automatically get a comp a car's number plate, it's much easier to enforce those fines. Whereas it's obviously more expensive and less effective to have someone going around, you know, marking tires of cars or, or something like that. So um, it makes sense to do what they're doing. They do get a lot of revenue from issuing parking infringement notices on private parking as, and, and in, in the UK. There is some risk to that. And, you know, I've it was Luke that highlighted this risk to me. So sorry if I'm stealing your thunder, mate. But there is some risk to uh, that business model in the UK because of the um, private parking code of practice that is currently in a, a call for evidence phase. Actually, that finished on 8th of November over in the U 8th of October, sorry, over in the UK. Um, the government said it will issue a further consultation on the options for parking charges and debt recovery fees once um, the call for evidence is complete. So there is some potential change which would reduce the profitability if they put a cap on how much they can charge as um, a fine when someone overstays their parking permit or whatever it is. Uh, so uh, there's some risk to the model there and, and that's your downside. That's probably what's kept me away from it. But at the same time, they are making great progress over the last year. Their share price has come up, but I think that is reflecting a generally improving trajectory of their business. So uh, credit to them on, you know, basically improving things over the last couple of years. Okay, so you do still have an imperfection. So this is a wait and see watch list. Uh look, I I I wouldn't I would call it, you know, a hold basically, yeah. but at the same time, I feel like I've missed this one, you know. I also was like, you know, too afraid to invest in it when it was maybe yeah. half the share price. So perhaps perhaps there's an argument for a buy. Yeah. Well, okay. Clear as mud. Thank you, Luke. <laughs> Are you going to clarify things for us? Do you hold it? Would you like to buy it? And if not today, at what price? Um, we do hold it in Meriwether Capital, Nadine. Um, just mindful of the time, so I will be quick. I've actually got a blog post on the website. So, you know, I'd say to Kyle and anyone else interested, um, jump on to meriwethercapital.com.au and have a read. There's sort of, you know, a couple of hundred words on the business and, and my thoughts on it. A little bit dated now, but the, you know, the, the, the business in itself is, is all still the same. Um, so, yeah, Claude hit on the main point I was going to say, though. Um, the other thing you can do is Google the UK private parking code of practice. Um, there's plenty of material about what's happening over there in the UK. And it's going through the House of Lords at the minute. Um, in a nutshell, there's four proposed outcomes. One of them is business as usual. Two of them is a minor impact to smart parking, you know, maybe a five to 10% earnings hit, but given the growth of the business, they'll, they'll stomach that quite easily. Uh, but the fourth one would be pretty significant. So um, I would say it is a buy. Um, it's it's more of a hold for me because I, I have been there and have a decent position. Mm -hmm. um, I would say it's a buy, but again, micro cap, and position weighting becomes very important because you do have regulatory risk. I've, I compared it in my blog post to um, when Kevin Rudd proposed the changes to salary packaging, um, you know, and, and the risk, the regulatory risk you have for these businesses when they operate in not murky industries, but, you know, highly easily to be regulated mm -hmm. by the government at the stroke of a pen. So always mindful of that and, and weight your position accordingly. But otherwise, fully agree with Claude. I think the management team here has been really good over the last few years, particularly post COVID. COVID, um, and the organic growth of the business has been very, very impressive. I'm going to send that to the investment committee. That's a buy from both of my guests. Uh, let's get to number three on the list, and that is Money Me. So this is for Eric. 
Eric, thanks so much for writing in. Don't forget, this is information only. This is not personal financial advice. And we seem to be really loving having Luke on the screen here. So I'll go to you on this one. It is personal personal loans, really, you know, what you use them for. I think they've also got a credit card product, but essentially it's personal loans in a rising interest rate environment. When the consumer is crunched, mm. would you be buying this? No, not at all. Um, I, I'd be exiting this one, and, and, and I've sort of been consistent with that for a while. We've had it come up a few times on the call. Um, you've nailed all the issues this business has, and, and not just money, me, the whole space, like the non-bank lenders where your source of funding comes from, um, you know, the, the wholesale market, uh, you know, effectively your cost of funding has just increased so much over the last year as all of the wholesale funders now want uh, significant higher rates of return than what you're able to get through that um, that COVID period. Um, and these guys just haven't been able to pass it on as quickly. You saw it with um, uh, Money3, th- uh, yeah, Money3, Solvar, as it's known now, had a downgrade not long ago. Uh, just the mismatch of the interest rate timing is, is very difficult to manage. But even particularly for these guys in that consumer lending space, um, I, I would avoid. And the only thing I noted down, Nadine, is is this is a fantastic example of um, you know you need to be able to dig past headline numbers because if you look at this business on headline numbers, it trades on less than four times earnings. Um, but that's mostly due to a very quirky style of accounting that's used for um, these sorts of finance businesses where they take a provision up front when they write a loan. And because these guys aren't writing as many loans or writing a, a less amount than what they did last year, you know, that that number is less um, and they're effectively running down their book and, and showing much higher profitability. But I suspect the, the provisioning on that book is still under provisioned. I, I sort of had a quick look into the notes. They, they doubled the write-offs on their loans and only ticked up the provisioning by a few basis points. So I think there's more pain in this loan book here than sort of what's being shown. And, and I think the market is onto that as well. It's it's not I'm not yeah, it's not a unique insight from me to say that the, the, the share price sort of reflects that as well. So you know, this is a okay. business where normally when you see a beaten down stock, just just quickly sorry, mm-hmm. when you see a beaten down stock, you can often argue that it's come down so far. These lending businesses, though, they can go to zero. You know, there's still 100% downside even from these levels. So it's one that I would exit at any sort of price just to get some capital back. Got it. Um, yeah, that chart, Claude, is <clears throat> excuse me, pretty shocking. So Claude, Claude, you there? I'm here. There we go. Yeah, I. Yeah, uh, yeah so I, I, I just think- I cannot imagine you in any world saying buy money me. No, yeah, no way, Jose. And it, look, it's just one of those situations where. This whole industry is where retail investors will lose money. So I look think that Luke just nailed it on money me, me really nicely explained it. But in a really sort of blunt way, I have been following small caps for more than a decade, and there's so many have come and gone that a small lending, um, you know, subprime car lending or whatever it might be, um, personal loans, you know, it all risky lending, whether it's that or whether it's lending for people to start up cafes or buy a truck and and start their trucking business or whatever it is, you know, Silver Chef, uh, cash converters, um, you know, all, all of these different ones and their access to day one. There are so many now that I've forgotten their names because they've gone bankrupt and they're delisted. So even the ones that are better and that actually remain listed, they don't perform very well. And the only reason you would be buying any of them would be because um, they're so cheap that they're paying out a really good dividend yield. So you're getting a dividend yield well in excess of what you can get in a term deposit. Um, so you're being compensated for that risk. That's mm-hmm. the only time you could have a sensible argument for this kind of thing. Otherwise, it's just gambling. And gambling in a 
in a situation where you're the patsy at the poker table. Yeah. All right. Thanks for that, guys. Sorry, Eric. Um, or you're welcome to save you from making a poor investment. All right. The fourth company on the list is Hotel Property Investments, HPI. This is picked by Daryl. I'll start with you, Claude, because you're keeping me company this time around. So this is an interesting one to me only because we talk a lot about alternative exposures, diversification in a portfolio. Is this a way to get some of that diversified exposure to property? You know, this is pubs and, and hotels and the like, or it, look, or not? It isn't. It is absolutely that. It's a way to get exposure to, um, you know, a vehicle that owns the buildings that are that the pubs are in, and um, you know, rents it to them. It's like a landlord to pubs, and it it pays a distribution uh, of six, or it's a trailing distribution yield of six point nine percent. That's really what you got to focus on. That's where your returns going to come from. Now, I hasten to add that is not a franked di- distribution. So, don't you know it's not grossed up quite big. It's just a couple of percent or three percent or two percent better than what you can get in a term deposit, right? So, if you get the the special deal for a new term deposit up to two hundred and fifty k or whatever it is, you can get five point four percent at the moment. We're just getting a little bit of a premium on top of that for in exchange for being part of this mega apparatus. Which has, you know, lots of layers of management um, that owns real estate. Now, if you had a view that you really wanted, you just think that these guys are going to get thick and fast positive revaluations of their properties um, over the next decade, and and that was your view, then that would be this would be a way to express that view. Um, but as a distribution play itself, it's not really that much higher than what you can get in a risk-free way. So I don't really see the the uh, attraction of it there. Now, as it happens, my view on on real estate isn't that bullish. Um, I'm not bearish at either. It's just it's not what I'm looking for when I'm on the stock market. Many people would have their own um, prop, like they may own a house or something like that. So you're mm-hmm. probably already attached to the real estate market anyway. I can't imagine a use case for me personally where I want to get extra exposure to this niche within real estate. Uh, that doesn't fit in my my plan. Uh, it might fit for somebody, but for me, it would be a sell, really. It just has no place in my portfolio. That's what we're going for. All right. How about you, Luke? Hotel property investments. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I've been negative on REITs for a while, Nadine. Um, and, and I completely agree with Claude. I, I think you look at these now on their on their distribution yields. Um, I, I think you almost throw net asset be- net asset values out the window. Um, 7% is not bad, but but yeah, considering you can risk-free now get over 5% in a term deposit, um, you need a pretty good outlook on the operating businesses underpinning that yield to, to then take on 7%. Um, and I don't really get that with pubs. I, I think there's a lot of regular risk with pubs and you saw that in the Endeavour share price when the New South Wales government you know hinted at potentially some pokey reform um, I think the, the the asset values around pubs as operating businesses are, are quite inflated um, and, and a potential of, of dropping quite dramatically if there was some regulatory um, changes made there um, so it's not one I would be in I, I think even in the REIT space um, you can get better distribution yields than that with potentially less risk so maybe maybe the appeal for people is it's, it's that alternative it's not you know office retail, um, industrial. It is something a bit different. But for me, it sort of doesn't really matter. You've got to focus on the operating business and the cash that then comes out of that to you as a distribution. So um, avoid for me as well. Okay. Thank you for that. Number five is, drumroll, Cyclofarm. We get a lot of questions about this one. Um, This one's coming from Daryl. 
He writes that we're waiting for an announcement on phase three. I think that's already happened from the FDA. Yep. I'm pretty confident of giving approval. I think it did. So he's been owned this for a while. What would your, um, you know, your assessment be of Cyclopharm, whether it's a buy, hold or sell if you're already in it? I don't own it, Nadine. I think you're going to me first. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I am, Luke. Screen. Sorry, yeah, you're um, on the screen. I, I don't own it. It's one I've followed for a very long time. Um, you know, uh, I remember reading a write-up on this stock uh, years ago, like 2015, 2016, and I've always been interested in it since then. Um, and they have a really interesting product which uh, is used in the nuclear scanning for pulmonary embolisms um, and actually have a, a decent uh, market share in the in the jurisdictions where it has approval and, and it sort of established itself as a best-in-class product. The issue they've always had is that 50% of the world's, you know, nuclear um, radiography tests for pulmonary embolisms happen in the US and they, they just haven't been able to nail that US approval. Um, so for years and years have, have spent millions of dollars to, to try and obtain it and, and had to jump through all sorts of hoops. Um, and they finally did. Now, the share price didn't really react to it much. It was, you know, back in um, in late September there. It looks like it's even fallen a little bit. Um, I, think, I think the market sort of expected the approval to come through. But now the, I guess the hard part starts now. Um, you've got the approval now. It's about getting those boots on the ground and getting the product penetration into the US. But as I sort of said before, it's a, it's a business and a management team that's proven they can do it um, all around the world, Australia, Europe, um, and, and plenty of other jurisdictions. Um, so I, I find this really interesting. It, it's basically around break even. Um, if you look at the if you look at the reports, you'll see they made about a, a two million dollar loss. Um, but that's basically offset by the costs that they had to spend on the US um, FDA approval. Uh, now that's done, though, those costs will certainly wind back quite a bit. So the business is roughly break even. The market cap's not cheap. It's, it's over $200 million. So there is some success already already sort of priced in. But I think you've got a management team and, and, and a product that are in a really interesting position. As I said, I don't own it. Um, it'd be speculative because you're about to embark on the hardest part of, of this journey. But I can certainly see why you would have that small speculative position. So again, for the right investor, knowing it's a micro cap, med tech is always very tough to commercialize. All, all those caveats, Nadine. I think this is one you could have a, a small speculative buy. Specky bye. Claude, what do you think of Cyclopharm? I was curious to get your thoughts yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to go actually uh, with the same direction as Luke on this one. Uh, followed it a long time myself as as well as him. I think I may have actually owned it in the distant past. Um, look, it's it's not been the most perfect business. Uh, for example, uh, there has have been a few red flags in its history. Uh, years ago now, um, you know, had a had a director van der Gold. Um, and, you know, then there's also an article uh, in the AFR, how Van der Gold's secret world fell apart. So obviously it's not always had, you know, it doesn't have all the five star try and like sleep well at night stuff that I, I would like to see. But having said that, that was a long time ago now and uh, it has continued to grow its revenue. Now, the reason that I guess it, it's reasonable to expect revenue growth over the long term if they keep executing. They've got this kind of razor plus blade model. They have the, um, you know, their system goes in for measuring someone's lungs and th that involves inhaling their technigas. And then they keep selling the technigas, you know, to the, to the locations that do their system. Uh, so it has that nice, a little bit like, you know, you could envisage it as being vaguely similar to like how Nanosonics continues to sell the, the disinfectant capsules. So it's lovely to see that uh, good business model there. Um, and on top of that, you also see good high gross profit margins. 
And what that hints at is that, you know, if they get a bit more scale, they roll out in the US, they kind of pull back on the spending a bit. Those high gross margins are very good evidence that this stock, this business could one day uh, produce very satisfactory and, and quite nice net profit mar- margins. So if you just imagined in the future how you're going to make money at the current price, well, you want to see a bit of revenue growth, maybe get it up to, uh, say, 40 million, and then you'd want to see uh, them actually achieve good net profit margins. And I think that's possible for this kind of business. So uh, a 40 million revenue could be, you know, I don't know, even 8 million profit. And that's where it starts to maybe you're like, oh, well, hold on, if it made 8 million profit, then paying 200 and 250 million, I wouldn't be so crazy if especially it had if it had a nice growth potential there. That might be a little bit of a stretch, but you can, it can make sense. You can definitely envisage how this would succeed from here and how it still could have its share price go higher. So for that reason, I would justify, and I don't own it myself, it's a, probably a little bit too um, out on the edge of, of speculativeness uh, for me right now, but I do still think there's probably a speculative buy there for somebody who knows what they're doing in high risk, you know, illiquid stocks. Uh, this does get a little speculative buy, a bit of interest for me. All right. I like it. We've had some positivity in this first half hour. And so let me just give you guys a bit of a break. Don't touch any of your settings, Claude, please. We'll be coming back to you. Let's summarize the first five stocks and the stock of the day. So it is self wealth. And uh, what we are doing is we've got, um, yeah, it's a hold. So that COVID stimmy surge is done. So that is a hold for uh, Luke and Claude because they both reckon that if you've been holding it, you could hold a small portion, take some profits off the table because the share price has risen exponentially today, but there could be another bid emerging. Consolidation is ripe in that sector, according to Luke. X2M, it's on Luke's watch list, um, but he's not buying it now and it's an avoid for Claude. In the uh, smart parking, it's a micro cap, so you have to be very careful of your position waiting, but it's a buy for Claude. Um, and it's a little buy for, uh, sorry, for Luke and Claude as well. So they just both warn about regulatory risk, particularly in the UK. Money me, it's a sell for both of my guests. They wouldn't go anywhere near it, let's just say that. And uh, we've got uh, hotel properties, uh, it is a sell for both of my guests and avoid for Luke because like if you're in that kind of a business you want to get the yield and that's not enough there to get them interested and cyclo farm it's a specky buy for both of my guests so we'll be putting that to the investment committee as well so smart parking and cyclo farm all right uh, our investment committee speaking of here's a look at the portfolio we did up our weighting in Washington H Soul Pats and Altium Took a bit out though of crew and energy promedicus and paladin and we bought in that small cap tech marketplace space with camplify so how are we going well fund is up 6.3 percent on a cumulative return basis so please keep sending in your requests as per usual we look at every single one although we can't get to them all right away and we can't put them all sometimes in the same program because you know, a little bit of variety. Variety is the spice of life, as they say. Um, but yeah, let's get across what the rest of the companies will be looking at today. DUG Technology, Environmental Group, Ambertech, Zero in the bigger end of town, and HT&E. All right, let's get right to it. DUG Technology, DUG is the ticker code. This is for Walter. Luke, I'm going to start with you this time around. What do you think? 
Um, an interest, a very interesting little business. Um, you know, DUG Technology. It's high performance computing, and, and straight away, a very nice buzzword there. Um, this is one that I remember taking a call with the CEO when the price was sub fifty cents, and yeah, there's the chart there, so you can sort of see. Uh, I don't own it. You can sort of see uh, missed out on this one. Um, it's they own. Um, super uh, computer processing um, facilities around the world, sort of Perth, Houston, London, and Kuala Lumpur, I think. Um, the issue I had with it at the time, and it, it continues to remain an issue, is the vast majority of the revenue for these guys comes from the oil and gas sector. So they do 80-odd percent of their revenue is from services to oil and gas providers, and it's like geo um geoscience sort of processing, I, I guess, helping them figure out, you know, where to drill, what's in their oil fields, all, all that sort of stuff about what's under the ground. Um, and I just, I couldn't get comfort with the cyclicality of that industry. Um, of course, you know, investment into oil and gas and, and new oil, oil fields and, and whatnot was um, off a cliff for many, many years. Uh, of course, that's sort of changed. And you see that in the Doug share price and, and the operational performance of the business. They're, they've won a lot of new contracts in that services space from their their large oil and gas clients um, and, and they've leveraged that quite well. So the share price, you know, tripling or so from, from those lows where I was looking at it um, coincides with a very strong fundamental turnaround of the business. They did sort of 5 million US uh, net profit last year, um, you know, sort of put in the business sort, sort of somewhere, you know, 20, mid 20 sort of times earnings, uh, which doesn't look too bad. And they've, they've offered decent outlook moving forward. Like they continue to see strength in the cycle. Um, but for me, you know, after that strong run, that valuation now sort of doesn't discount for the cyclical risks of the business that I think remain. Mm -hmm. uh, you would really love to see them. They've got two other segments being their software and, um, you know, they, they sort of uh, hire out the high performance computing for, for other users. If you saw those two revenue streams really taking off, I think you'd be much more interested in this stock. But at the last, over the last year, they were sort of eight percent and two percent respectively, still just sort of flat. While all of the growth came from that cyclical oil and gas services. So, look, if you're there, if you, especially if you've ridden this up, I think take a little, take a little bit of profits. Had a very good run, and you know, not many micro small caps have charts that look like that. Um, if you're like me on the sidelines, particularly if you've missed it like I have, um, keep it on your watch list. I think it's a really interesting little business, um, and this. One, you know, as I said, it's it is cyclical given their end customers. So there'll be another chance to enter this stock over the long term. Um, but you've got a very interesting business. Um, founder led owns plenty of stock, um, and I think you know over time the potential to move away from the cyclicality. They're, they're targeting like aerospace and, and some other mm -hmm. um, high performing uh, high high performance computing sort of spaces. So um, maybe a small trim just for someone who's been there for a while, Nadine. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, what about you, Claude? Uh, for me, it's definitely a hold. So um, obviously, if someone was worried that they had too large a position, then a trim might be appropriate. But overall, this for me is a hold. Uh, you have gotten lucky in the sense that, you know, they really have had massive operational improvements. As Luke says, that comes from the less recurring, less high quality, less high margin services part of the business, which would probably have a fair bit of operating leverage in it as well. If, if demand ever dropped away, you could see profits go down. Having said that now, Look, this thing has uh, amazing uh, sociological forces that are that are supporting it now. You know, it's sitting at a five-year high or an all-time high, rather. Everyone who's ever always 
bought shares in this is is on to winner. You're you're seeing institutions buy in this as well. Um, perhaps one little risk you are you are seeing is the CFO transition. But you know, offsetting that, you do have a director I think bought shares at about the current price quite recently, and. So yes, it it I do expect that this momentum in the services division, which is not so recurring in nature, I do expect that that will reverse and go away sometime. But for now, it seems all right. So I would, yes, if if you wait to the next results and then you sold after you saw a slowdown in services, then you will get a slightly lower price. But you know, I think that it's quite possible that the momentum could continue decently well, and. This is getting more attention now, so it's just those sociological forces. You you might want to see, or oh, if it gets even more high valued, and if there's a bit more of a run up in the share price, have a look at who's talking about it. Are you seeing lots of articles about it? Mm-hmm. I just have my finger on the post so sociologically to see when maybe to take some profits on this one. But it's a good story, and the financials have been good as well. Okay. So overall, it's a hold for me. Well, that's uh, pretty positive as well overall, guys. Thank you. Now let's get to our. I don't know, sometimes I get accused of being too optimistic about the markets, but it is nice in this program when you get some love for some of these companies. All right, let's see if there's any love for Environmental Group. EGL is the ticker code. It is the stock of the day and it's been picked by Ruby. So I will start with you, Luke, on this one, Environmental Group EGL. Um, I'll keep the positivity going, Nadine. Um, this is one that looks really interesting as well. Um, it's in that sort of industrial um, environmental space. So, um, you know, air emissions, um, boiler and, and exhaust, um, you know, waste services, all of the, all of the you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit green, but it's in that really industrial side of the, the waste management sort of space. Um, the thing that's sort of, I, I don't own this just for disclosure. The thing that sort of kept me away is this is a business that's a bit of a hodgepodge of acquisitions. Um, there's no, well, I shouldn't say that. There's actually, um, you know, quite a good rationale behind the acquisitions, and I think their segments do sort of go together quite nicely. But nonetheless, most of the growth has come from acquisitions over time. And generally speaking, I, I prefer businesses that have that strong organic growth. But nonetheless, I think you know the, the management team behind this business have continued to grow it quite well. And even at an earnings per share level, as they have acquired and sometimes raised to fund that, um, it, it's had good compound growth as well. The only thing I could sort of poke a hole at is the valuation isn't cheap. Um, on my rough numbers, you know, looking backwards, it's about 32 times earnings on, on the re- report we just had. Um, but they were one of the few businesses, particularly in the micro small cap space where, where I predominantly look, that had the confidence to come out and give guidance about the forward year. So they've already guided to 30% earnings growth in, in FY24. So that multiple comes down to sort of sub 25 times earnings. And again, it's not screamingly cheap. And, and if you were being picky, you would probably want it a bit more. But for the business, the growth, the space it plays in, a good management team who's acquired well, um, you know, I, I see that this is one you can definitely hold it if you're there. But again, um, go back to the comments that we had on um, Cyclofarm. If you're a microcap investor, understand that space and, and sort of the risks that come with it. I think this is another one you could speculatively buy and, and, and do okay over, over a medium term view for sure. Oh, that's a buy. And uh, what do you think, Claude? You're keeping this positivity going or not? I look it's a good look I don't own any of the companies today but I do think there are quite a few investable ones so this is regarding um environmental group EGL mm-hmm. uh I basically 
uh, don't have quite such a rosy view of it as, say, uh, Doug Technology, the last one we talked about, because uh, it is in a more lower margin and also more capital intensive style business. Now, that doesn't mean it's a bad business, but that just does mean that there's generally probably less propensity for the market to get really excited and overexcited about it. Uh, as And also uh, there is more of a need for capital as the business grows. So uh, that can mean that there can be more capital raising or eventually now they're, they're, they're looking good at the moment, but eventually they may need to uh, take on debt to fund growth as well. So overall within environmental group, uh, I'd say a more cautious hold uh, or or even a sell just because it's not really the kind of business that I like to own myself. Uh, those Look, we're looking at talking about um, normalized EBIT margins that are, that are quite low, um, le- like less than 5%. And at the same time, um, you know, it's got a quite a high valuation for that kind of business. So no, I'm actually going to say sell on this one. It's the kind of thing that I'd revisit more readily once it's paying um, more of a history of, of paying out dividends and then buying it for that yield, I guess, is probably what I'd look at. But I don't I don't hate it. I just think it's too expensive. Yeah. OK. And just to be clear, we're talking about environmental group E.G.L. So that's uh, an avoid for Claude. OK, let's uh, carry on. Let's get to the next company on the list, which is Amber Tech. So this has been picked by Cal. Claude, I'm going to start with you for AmberTech, A-M-O is the ticker code. Yeah, yeah. so this is another, actually a low margin capital intensive mm-hmm. business um, in uh, you know audio services, install installation, but also selling of audio equipment, audio visual equipment. So, you know, a few years ago, I actually owned shares in this stock after they they were at a lower price and they also just done a big contract with the ABC. So obviously with these kind of distribution businesses, when they do get some organic growth, they can get a good profit improvement, and um, yeah, and that's and that's a real positive if they are paying out dividends. Which, to the credit of um, AmberTech, they actually do pay out quite a fat dividend yield there. So you are getting compensated in AmberTech for the fact that you own a not very, not particularly good quality business that has low margins. If it loses enough revenue, it could easily fall into a loss. So it's a bit risky. Uh, that's for sure. Now. Uh, I I don't generally see the catalyst for this getting re-rated anytime soon. Um, so I'm not going to be buying this one myself. And also, generally speaking, if I am going to buy a lower quality small cap business such as Avatech, I just want to have you know a clear thesis that hey, these are going to get good results this year because they have a good you know tailwind in that they got this big contract. I don't see the tailwind that's a long-term tailwind necessarily for these guys. Um, but also, I actually think that the stock has come down now. It is quite cheap. You do see directors buying on market. Um, they, I, I will give it a hold. Like if, you, if you're in this and, and you think it's a, a, you're holding it for your little funny little dividend stock, I think it is a funny little dividend stock and it is paying you a big uh, well, it will, if it can, continue to pay dividends. That's the risk that they could get cut. But the board has shown that, um, you know, okay. they will pay out dividends. All right. Buy, so hold, or sell like today. It. I hold today. Thank you. Buy, hold, or sell for Amber Tech. From you, uh, Luke. I, I think it's a hold as well. And, and, and as Claude said, it's on that valuation and that dividend yield. Um, operationally, I think 
we're a little bit spoiled on the ASX because we have some really good dis- distribution companies like Dicker Data, um, Data3, um, Supply Networks. There's a few examples of, of really good distribution companies. But at their core, they're very, very tough businesses, and particularly in this environment with high interest rates and high inflation, um, because, of course, there's a very um, capital intensive on, on inventory um, working capital, um, and they generally like to fund that with um, with, with debt. You know, you want to sort of um, hold that in, in a working capital finance. Um, that's now more expensive. The, the cost of your goods are going up. You'd be able to pass that on to customers. It's just tough. And you saw Ambitech, their profits were pretty much cut in half, FY22 to FY23. But so is the share price. And so that valuations remain quite cheap and that dividend yield still quite high. Um, I think you just got to be very mindful of the operating performance and it can be tough in this environment. But I agree with Claude. I think it's cheap enough that you would, you would probably keep holding it if you're there, understanding the speculative nature of where you are. Okay, got it. Thank you, guys. All right, let's get to number nine on the list. Cal, I hope that helped you. And it isn't to the big end of town. Zero. So this has been picked by Lily. We get a lot of questions about zero. So, you know, indulge us, guys. What is your current assessment of zero and whether or not you would pay today's price for it? Luke. Um, yeah, well, we used to get zero quite a bit when the price was falling yeah. and, and I haven't had it for a while. So I haven't looked and, and came to it. Um, it's done really, really well. And you can see the reason why and, and go back all the way to the start of the program when I was talking about X2M Connect and talking about how hard it is for low margin businesses to see that scale and then come and look at something like zero and it's the exact opposite. Because of those high gross margins, um, a, a new management team uh, ha- has focused on the cost side of the business, keeping that flat or, or cutting costs and and bringing down the the, the operating cost margin um, and the explosion in the operating profits of the business. Like if you look today, I did a very rough numbers. It's about 200 times operating income. And so you'd look at that and say, oh, it's exceptionally expensive. But based on the cost guidance they've given and assume some you know, um, 20 odd percent um, top line growth into this year, that potentially drops to sub 50 times in, in less than one year, just because of how quickly these businesses can scale into profitability. So whether it's a buy, hold, sell, I think it's definitely a hold, Nadine, because the price has already reflected that. You know, management's done such a good job at, at hitting that that cost base and seeing it fall to the bottom line. You've seen that price now sort of go up sort of 50 odd percent. Um, so I think it's an easy hold. You could still, I think, buy it though. But again, you've got to understand what sort of investor you are. You need to be, um, you know, as, as a, a growthier style investor, willing to stomach the volatility and probably take a, a medium-term view on the business. That there may still be short-term periods where, um, you know, mm-hmm. international growth may be weaker than expected and shares get hit and whatnot. But um, yeah, it was interesting coming back and looking at this one because I hadn't probably looked for six months, and it's been a, a very impressive turnaround. Yeah, got it. All right, uh, Clark, what would you do with zero today? A similar take. Look, I don't own zero myself, but other than that, I would call it a long-term buy. And I am, it's on my list. It's in the, like, there's some um, high quality businesses I like to own. Um, you know them, Altium, Prometicus. Zero is one of them, but I don't own it right now. And obviously it's been a tougher environment for uh, companies that aren't optimized for profit yet, which is zero. But at the same time, we are seeing the new CEO taking it in the direction of more free cash flow, less acquisitions here, there, and every everywhere. Um, just focusing on that core business, which has a very good business, a very high quality business. So therefore, I'd call it only a long-term buy. I couldn't really tell you this is, I, I'm not sold that this is cheap. Uh, I do think it's expensive, but I do think it's expensive. And one of the better quality business in the, in the whole ASX. 
And my philosophy absolutely is, yes, I do speculate on high-risk small caps, but I'm looking for companies that are improving their quality over time. And I will definitely hold mature, high-quality businesses as well, uh, such as Zero. And I'm always interested in uh, whether I should add it to my portfolio. It's just they're really cheap. That's the issue. But I still call it a long-term, only if you've got a long-term view, a long-term buy. Yeah, okay. There you go. Long-term buy. Um I might even call that a buy. Luke, would you agree that if you're buying for the long term, it could be a buy today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah I'm the same as Claude. I think, you know, if you've got a medium yeah. long term, you can still buy. Got it. We've got a few, just a few minutes left to talk about the last on the list, and that's HT&E. All right. So media business. I haven't actually looked at the share price in quite some time, um, but I do think of the economic headwinds that we are still expecting, you know, particularly as we see these interest rates with a lagging effect continue to take hold. And I know that we've seen some commentary from other media companies, you know, that it's tough out there in terms of advertisers. So uh, is HT and EHT1 as the ticker code, Luke, doing something different that we'll see it through this um, period? Uh, potentially. It's also changed ticker to Dean. It's now A1N. It's uh, A1N. The reason, yeah, the reason why is they spun out their outdoor media assets and now it's a pure play on radio, digital, oh, got streaming. It podcasts yeah so um look you're right yeah you sum- absolutely sorry Go oh, no, good. You, you summed it up quite well like it's, it's just a tough environment for these guys and what i've never loved about the media companies and this is a legacy thing from the past they all carry just high debt levels and and you know back when of course interest rates were zero that was fine and and you know you could really leverage that capital stack and generate good returns on equity for shareholders and that's just now getting tougher and tougher. And these guys, as that cycle turns and, and um, you know, earnings were, were impacted this year, still sort of 70 mil debt on the balance sheet and those interest costs will start to bite and, and refinance becomes tougher. And so you, you got the headwinds from both sides. Um, that being said, stock price is beaten down. The valuation is beaten down too. It's sort of sub 10 times earnings. Now to get to that though, you have to annualize the first half numbers, which are going backwards. So, you know, it depends on, you know, when we talk about a PE ratio, it's it's the price divided by the E and, and, and the earnings of the business can be going backwards and the multiple can shoot up very quickly depending on what happens to them. So, Look, I'd be on the sidelines for this one. Again, the main reason why and where it's a little bit different to, to Ambertech, which I think was a hold on the yield, it's just that balance sheet. And I think when you have the balance sheet concerns in this in this sort of environment, it's just easier to stay on the sidelines, even if something looks cheap and potentially has a good yield. So I'd, I'd just avoid this one. There you go, Claude. What do you think? Uh, definitely a sell. Uh, this is called a value trap. It's um, it looks cheap, but it's always it's always getting worse. Also, it's buying back shares. That's probably supporting the share price. It has 87 million net debt. If it ever gets in a position where it can't buy back shares, that's probably going to be even worse for the share price. Uh, yeah, it's just the the long term is against you. So you want the long term to be on your friend your friend, and 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 so that's not how I invest, and I definitely wouldn't buy shares. I'd sell them. Thank you. All right, guys, we are at the end. Let me just recap what we've learned very, very quickly. DUG technology. Uh, Look, it is a decent outlook, but it's cyclical valuation challenged. Uh, We'd actually get a little bit of profit taking coming from uh, from Luke. It's a hold though for Claude. Environmental group, it's a buy for Luke. It's an avoid for Claude. Ambertech, both of them are willing to hold it for that dividend, but uh, mind the gap, be mindful of 
you know, the fact that it's capital intensive and low margin. Number nine, it's a long term buy. So keep in mind your investing style. But yeah, both of them say it's a quality business and it's a sell and an avoid for ARN Media. We'll call it a sell, shall we? Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Luke Winchester from Meriwether Capital. Look, guys, it's always a pleasure to spend a bit of time with you on a Friday afternoon. I hope you both have a wonderful weekend. Thank you for having me and sorry for the sorry for the audio. It is absolutely okay. Tech is it's our friend at the best of times, enemy the rest of the time. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, Any companies you guys have to cover, you guys being the audience, you can email us at osbiz.co, call picks, or you can tweet to us as well. Uh, In the meantime, though, stick around. We'll take you through the next hour of trade now. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.